0: Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. Hope your day's going well. We're going to have a wonderful hour with Dr. Mark Muska. He is already on our line, ready to take any and all of your questions. You know how much fun it is when Mark comes in. Unfortunately, he's at home today, working from home, and it's about half as much fun for me and Rebecca, but because uh, we love having Mark in studio. But he his uh, Bible is open, and he's ready to answer your questions. So I know you've got some. Let me know what they are. Send them over via text at 877 933 24-84-877-933, 24-84. I've got three questions for him, just to get things started. They are all in the book of Luke. So open up to Luke, and we'll be back in 60 seconds.
1: We don't need to live in fear. Here's Dr. Linda Mental.
0: The best thing is to say, okay, I feel really anxious right now, but it's going to be okay because I can take it. You have to learn to tolerate that negative feeling. But the more you face it, the better it gets. So don't run from fear when those anxious thoughts come into your mind. Don't try to push them away. Instead, allow them to come, tolerate that, and then correct your thinking with something that's a little more rational, like, yes, I'm afraid, but God is with me, and he will get me through this, and I can deal with it. I can do it. And if you say to yourself, I can do this, it might be hard, it might be difficult, you correct that thought into something more reasonable, you're going to find out that you're going to tolerate that anxiety, and you're actually going to decrease the fear.
1: Listen to Calming Fear Amid the Coronavirus Outbreak at MyFaithRadio.com. Just click on the Dr. Linda Mental Show under the Program tab.
0: Welcome to the show. Nothing makes me happier than studying God's word with Dr. Mark Muska. Always glad to have him on the program. I look forward to it every time he comes on. Frankly, he could come on every day if he wanted to, but I know he's busier than that, and he's got other things to do. But I sure appreciate when he comes on. Mark, welcome again to the show.
1: Yeah, good to be here, Bill. This is kind of weird. I agree.
0: I know it's only half as fun. I got to be up front. I got to be. Got to be honest. Well, I'm going to open up the lines for listeners to send in text questions. Again, that's 877 933 2484. I've got a couple of questions of my own I'd like to get started with. And they're okay. all out of the book of Luke. So in Luke chapter 1, I see that the angel Gabriel has visited <clears throat> uh, Zacharias and was asking, uh, they were asking how he and his wife Elizabeth could have a son when they're so old. And mm-hmm. he comes right out and says, you know, I am Gabriel. Do you know where I've come from? And I, do you know that I stand in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings? And I think there's no tone in Scripture, but I would love to kind of speculate, maybe no need to do that, as to the authority with, with which he came. And when he silenced Zechariah, was that his own doing or was that something that came directly from the Lord?
1: Oh, it's God doing the silencing, I think. But uh, Gabriel, remember, he's he's God's messenger. So he's going to convey to God what uh, he hears and what he's uh, he's going to tell uh, uh, the uh, John's father here, what he's been told to tell him. And he's got that kind of authority. I wonder sometimes, Bill, if he was a little indignant there, and maybe he even spread his wings out, you know, like <laughs> to show his stature. I, I am Gabriel. Yeah, I, stand- I wonder that too. I stand in the presence of God, you know? Wow.
0: And he said, Mark, um, you will be silent and not be able to speak until the until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And I yep. thought, well, they, you meant the Lord's words, not your words. But I know that he's speaking on behalf of God. But I'm right. always wondering what kind of swagger he had when he was saying, I am Gabriel.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, do the angels
0: have swag? I I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, we'll
1: have to ask him one of these days. If we ever see one, I think we'll be uh, a little bit humbled. So
0: yeah, but he spoke a little bit more tenderly with Mary, didn't he? He did.
1: Just a few verses later, uh, Mary questions this in verse thirty-four. After he says that you're gonna you're gonna bear a son and he's gonna reign all over his kingdom will and never end, and Mary says in verse thirty-four, "How can this be? Since I'm a virgin." Uh, but in this case, Gabriel didn't rebuke her or uh, reprimand her. Uh, so I'm wondering if the words of the page can't convey the tone and the attitude of the heart that Gabriel picked up on. Mm-hmm. Zacharias wasn't speaking in faith there. Mary is. She's just got a question. There's nothing wrong with asking a question if you're believing the Lord. So he re- he responds much gentler to her than he did to Zacharias.
0: Yeah. Now I'm going to jump over to Luke chapter 7, and I found okay. uh, the centurion's uh, servant, who is uh, the master uh, valued highly, was sick and about to die. And mm-hmm. the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, the man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell you, I, I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. As I read that, Mark, and I see that this uh, centurion has tremendous authority, people are obviously going to do what he says without any yep. lip whatsoever. So yep. when Jesus says, this is such great faith, I've, I've never seen this great of faith. Explain how that is such great faith.
1: Well, it's great faith because he sees that Jesus has this authority. And it's not because Jesus has a halo around his head or he's got all these soldiers marching with him with showing some kind of authority that would be obvious to anybody. He looks like just uh, any old schmo there walking around in Israel at that time. But the centurion recognizes, this guy's got the kind of authority that I've got. And so his word is good enough. I don't have to see it. I don't have to come personally. I'll take his word as authoritative. That, I think that's what he's getting
0: at. Mm-hmm. I like that. Appreciate that answer, Mark. Okay, let me jump over to uh, Luke 8 now. And I love okay. this story of Jesus restoring uh, a demon-possessed man in the description yeah, of this you've guy. Been,
1: you've been having some fun in, in Luke, haven't
0: you? I have been, yeah. And when yeah. I'm reading the description of this guy, uh, I tell you, this guy scares me. <laughs> you know, for a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he lived in the tombs. And he could break out of chains, all right. Yeah, and he's, he's got kind of creepy demons in him, all right. So Jesus comes yep. along and sends the demons into a herd of pigs. And now all of a sudden, this guy is kind of uh, dressed and in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And now all of a sudden, the authorities uh, are afraid of Jesus and want him to leave. Not the crazy guy who used to naked be naked and live in the tombs.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, they're, uh, they're they they uh, they are a little bit too close to some power here okay there's the death of this guy being demonized the way he is and here Jesus is able to just take that and get rid of it just like that who is this <laughs> that that's in their midst they're afraid of him he's got that kind of power over the demons uh, uh, that uh, they they're they're very unsettled by that it doesn't draw them to Jesus. Uh, it, it causes them to fear him. Remember, they didn't know much about him either and his message, but point. they certainly saw his power on display with this demonized guy.
0: Yeah. I love uh, verse 39. It's Jesus says, return home to this demon possessed man, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went yep. away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Probably didn't take much convincing, did it?
1: no. Well, you you know, when people's lives, even today, Bill, when you have people that were just a train wreck and they're they're miserable, they might be addicted to things, uh, they've made a mess out of their lives. And then Jesus comes, uh, not personally, like uh, in this gospel, but uh, they put their faith in the gospel and depend on Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and peace with God. And, uh, the The transformation is remarkable. And so there's that same kind of power today. People know the person before Christ and now a totally different person. It's just not conceivable that somebody can do that themselves. There has to be a greater power at work there than just uh, self-determination and effort.
0: And that reminds us both, Mark, of the power of the testimony of a changed life in Christ.
1: Yep. Very difficult to argue against that.
0: Isn't that the truth? You all can share your own story, and that.
1: Yep. Well, you got a beauty, I know that, and mine isn't so bad either. So that's a uh, good that, point. <laughs> every Christian's testimony is powerful, though.
0: Yeah, good point. All right, here's a question from a listener. Um, after Jesus rose from the dead, why didn't he present himself to his opponents, such as the Jewish leaders?
1: Yeah, that brings out kind of the dark side in a lot of us. You know that he could have had a whole lot of fun with people like Pilate to just come. His wife has already been having visions and been troubled, but think of what Jesus could have done to just appear to buy a pilot and go, boo, you know, or something like that. That, that gets us, there, there seems to be some satisfaction in thinking about that. But I like the idea though, Bill, that, you know, Jesus is, he gives people reason to believe in him. And if they don't believe in him, he's just not going to keep coming on and coming on with these things. He is going to appear to the people who follow him and believe him and they don't they don't need uh, some shock here they've already put their trust in Jesus like the centurion uh the, the words of Jesus they ha- they don't need to see the resurrected Jesus to believe in him so it's not to prove anything to them it's to reassure them and to comfort them
0: mhm dr mark muska is my guest for the whole hour that means send questions now 877 933 2484 Again, 877-933-2484, text any question you like. We will take a short break and be right back with Dr. Mark Mosko. Welcome back to the hour I have with Dr. Mark Muska. That means any question you have about the Bible, maybe there's been something that's been nagging at you for a long time, you just want some clarification on. There's been a passage in Scripture that you've struggled with that would be everybody out there. Let us know what it is, 877-933-2484. Listener just jumped in with this question, Mark. I've confessed, okay. my, I've confessed my sins to the Lord, but I've kept those sins between me and God. I don't want to tell anyone else, but the Bible says to also confess to one another. Am I still forgiven, even if I don't have the courage to confess to others?
1: Yeah, that's a pretty good question. That comes out of uh, James chapter 5, where uh, James is given a lot of advice there about how to walk uh, by faith and to live by faith. And so uh, I'm, I'm turning over to the passage right now. It's very brief. But he's talking about the the fellowship and the body here, and uh, he speaks about when someone is suffering or sick, that they should be anointed by the elders so that the person uh, can be raised up. And in James 5, 16, he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And so... It's in the midst of a lot of other fellowship kinds of directions for the church. And so I think you can get legalistic with this if you're not careful. And maybe the reader is thinking that way that, oh, boy, it's not, it's not uh, forgiven unless I confess it to others. And I don't think that's the intent of James at all here. This is a means of encouragement that anybody who's ever been tempted, you know that if you share that with, you know, close brothers and sisters, it cuts the potency of the temptation and especially if they can pray with you about it, that that kind of support and encouragement is, there's great strength there when two or more people join together with some weakness or temptation or sin that we find ourselves getting entangled with. And so that seems to be much more the spirit of it there. Uh, We don't have to go to anyone else other than the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So, When we confess, and confess is just a fancy word for admitting our sin, when we don't make excuses for it, we don't blame others, we're not trying to rationalize it, we admit it, that we've sinned. And Jesus forgives. I would say the only caveat to this, though, Bill, and to this listener, is that if you have sinned against someone else, there may be the need to go and make that right. So it's not enough just to take that to the Lord. So if you stole something from someone, or if you slandered them in front of a group, you may need to go and make that right with them as well. That's appropriate for uh, for a forgiveness to f- find its uh, fullest measure.
0: I like that, Mark. Another question, a lot of Muslims are having dreams about Jesus with the information on who to contact to become a Christian. Uh, do you find that to be uh, something that you're hearing about as well? And that yeah, confirms what... What scripture teaches?
1: Yeah, there's plenty of documentation of this kind of thing, and it's coming from people that I consider sober-minded. They aren't, you know, hysterical or attention getters by trying to do something like this, that they report these kind of things. Um, I read a book on Islam a couple of years back where were, there were several testimonials like this, and so uh, it appears as though uh, God is uh, uh, using avenues of uh, Reaching people that maybe are um, uh, distinctive in the last few decades that uh, hasn't been so much the case uh, anyone who's uh, studied Islam and, and and the awakening that's taking place among those with Muslim backgrounds it, it's unprecedented in the 21st century here now of the God opening the hearts of many of these uh, dear Muslim people to the gospel and to the Lord Jesus. And it seems as though dreams and then miraculous healings as well are part of this. I, I witnessed this myself and uh, my wife, by the way, my wife is sitting here with me now for encouragement. So you can say hi to her if you want to, Bill. But, hey, uh, Karen.
0: Nice to have you around.
1: <laughs> my, uh Uh, My wife and I, we were in Beirut, Lebanon three years ago, and we heard this right out of the mouths of this Muslim family that the whole caboodle had turned to Christ, Wow! put their faith in the gospel. And one of the determinative things was, is the dad in the family had an illness that none of the doctors could uh, treat. And so... The Christians there, his wife had already become a Christian, so they invited a few Christians in to pray over him, and he was miraculously healed, and it got his attention to the point that he put his faith in Jesus and in the gospel, and when the dad does that, the rest of the family followed right along, so uh, I have no reason to call that into question when something good like that happens from this, people put their faith in the gospel and Christians are encouraged and strengthened in their faith. Uh, I'm nodding my head yes to that. I'm not shaking my head no.
0: Nice, nice. All right, Mark, here's something I've been work, chewing on for the last couple of weeks, and this is a passage that is in uh, the book of John, chapter 20, and I will start... In verse 21, again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Mm -hmm. Please talk about that.
1: Uh, Anything specific?
0: We know Jesus alone has the power to forgive sin. Yes. So is he is he giving the disciples authority to say yes your sins have been forgiven or no your sins haven't been forgiven based on uh, the authority of God's word?
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty close. I have to be fair here that uh, of our uh, Roman Catholic friends uh, take this a little bit of a different direction as a directive here now for the priesthood being able to convey. Remember the word priest means go between or mediator. Mm-hmm. So these priests are able to declare forgiveness of sins as God's mediators, and this is one of the passages that they'll use to uh, uh, back that kind of a uh, uh, position up. Uh, I think what what's happening here is even more unique, though. It's the apostles themselves. They're going to be sent out with the message. Jesus is saying that right here. And he is giving them the authority to say, what you proclaim as the gospel is authoritative, that... The the teaching of an apostle is true. And so you have the ability now and the authority to be able to say, if someone resists or rejects this message, you can say to them, your sins aren't forgiven. And if someone does accept the message and put their trust and dependence on Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, they can authoritatively say, yes, on that basis, your sin is forgiven. They have that ability to do that. Uh, Sometimes we don't recognize the apostolic power here that came uh, from Jesus to these apostles. Uh, Just think of it for a minute, Bill. The New Testament, one of the key tests of a book being included in the New Testament early on in the first few centuries, was the test of apostolic authority. Mm. Was it written by an apostle or was it written under the supervision of an apostle? If they couldn't answer that, yes. It took a while for a book to be accepted into the New Testament. So uh, that, that authority appears to be, uh, when they proclaim the gospel, they can say truthfully whether someone's forgiven or not based on their response to the gospel.
0: That's really interesting. I know the the passage, and I can't think of exactly where it is right now, but there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It's a memory yep. verse. I just can't figure out the address for it, um, yep. which is so like me at times. Uh, but- mm mm-hmm. That is certainly a point of contention in in denominations, uh, mainline denominations, and certainly causes difficulty for people who've come out of that. Yeah, I,
1: I, I wish we could uh, come together on that and really talk more about what we see together uh, alike and unified rather than constantly picking at each other over the things we differ about with there, because there's a whole lot that we share in common across these denominational traditions.
0: Yeah. All right, Mark, I'm going to take a break in three minutes. And I also okay. want to just let listeners know that uh, your questions are absolutely welcome. I, I practically insist, 877-933-2484. But I would love in the next couple of minutes just to get your personal side of how you're processing the world right now. And, and do you, when you go to God's Word, is, is there certain places you go for comfort more than others? And, and how are you processing what's going on in the world right now?
1: Is that for me or for the uh, listeners?
0: No, that's for you.
1: Oh, that's for me. Yeah. Oh. So, Karen, hold
0: his hand while he talks now.
1: Yeah. That this. (laughs) uh, I need that. I need that help. I do. Um, I don't. I don't take a lot of different things. I take just one or two things and really try to dwell on them and focus my mind on them. And so. one of the things that I look to are the promises of God that we can trust him when we're anxious, when we're fearful, we can trust in him. And maybe the best verse of all time in the Bible for that one is in First Peter 5, where He uh, Peter urges us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us at the proper time, uh, casting all our anxieties upon him because he cares for us. And I love that because it's so positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we get so negative and we hear, you know, don't do this. Uh, sometimes I wonder, I've I've heard uh, some people online and everything saying, well, don't worry or don't be afraid. Well, that's great. But what do you do? Right. That It's like saying to someone, don't breathe.
0: <laughs> right.
1: W- well, I am afraid and I am worried, but. The positive side of that, and I appreciate it, at one of your spots at the early part of the program brought this out, that when we put our thoughts on trusting God and specific promises that He has, that will fill our minds yeah. and our
0: hearts. Right, so
1: it's not like we're not going to be afraid anymore or fearful, but we've got a way of focusing ourselves on what we do know and right. what we do believe about God
0: and uh, we got to jump. We yeah. depend on it. We got to jump. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Mark Muska is with me and we're uh, taking questions. So whatever questions you might have, let us know what they are. 877-93-FAITH, 877-933-2484. Text him over and we will uh, do our best to answer them. question just came in. What did Jesus do the Saturday that he spent in the tomb? Did he spend that day in hell?
1: Yeah, that is a good question, and I don't know if uh, any of us can answer it with a great deal of confidence because that's uh, part of the afterlife and, and that that we don't understand real well. The Bible gives us a few hints about it, Uh, There's creeds, though, that bring this out. Maybe the listener was thinking about that, where it talks about Jesus uh, dying and then descending into hell. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead and so forth. And so uh, was he in hell? Uh, I think we have to be careful there, Bill, because on the one hand, we have no way to comprehend what it was for him to bear the sin of the world and the idea that he was separated from the Father. Because of that, on the cross, and he paid the penalty of the sin of the world. Hmm. We can say that, but there's no way that we can grasp that. How can the father and the son be separated? Period. You know, right. <laughs> what, what's that supposed to mean? And so we're filled with a whole lot of question marks there. But something that helps me a little bit is that this idea of him descending into hell. Uh, Peter talks about this a couple different times about him preaching to the the souls imprisoned and all this in the afterlife. Uh, you have to remember that there was a very uh, a common understanding of the cosmos in this day and age when the Bible was written, where the 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 heavens were the place that was the spiritual domain. That's where the angels existed. God exists in the heavens. The earth is where we live. And then the so-called nether world or the underworld—that was the place for those who have died, and everyone who had died, not just those who were sinners and going to be judged by God, but even the righteous. Jesus plays off of this with his parable of the rich man and Lazarus, where the the the, the poor man Lazarus goes to be in this place of comfort, or Abraham's bosom, or at Abraham's side. In the nether world, and so that would be the idea of Hades or hell or whatever it is. So by saying this, it's it's merely the idea that Jesus went to this nether world, this place of the dead, Mm -hmm. but he stayed there. He was raised from the dead, and he came back and overcame death by his resurrection. So,
0: really interesting. Mark, John, the baptizer uh was the forerunner to the messiah and yet yep. he had his own followers. What was yep. what's up with that?
1: Well you gotta remember John came out for ministry before Jesus did that uh they were both about the same age. Oh, John good point. and uh John was ministering and uh he was he was quite a sensation. Uh, I like the way Matthew brings this out, that everybody's coming out to Matthew. He's getting the attention of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. In John chapter 1, they they send their emissaries out there to figure out who he is and to ask him who he is. So, and then Jesus, who is still anonymous, he comes to be baptized by John. And so uh, before that baptism, Jesus would have been a nobody in the crowd. Uh, uh just one of the many that John was uh, gathering to uh, be baptized so after that when John testifies and then Jesus goes and starts his public ministry that's when many of John's disciples they uh, John tells them to follow Jesus very famous statement that John makes in John chapter three, where he uh, the, the, his disciples were confused, well, uh, his disciples are baptizing or aren't baptizing, but you are and everything and john says uh, i'm i'm the I'm the friend of the bridegroom I've been preparing the way here, and when I see the bridegroom come, I rejoice, my joy is full and then very famous statement that John makes, uh, he must increase, but I must decrease and so John's disciples were making their way over to Jesus after John's decline, you might say. Mm-hmm.
0: Of,
1: uh, he fulfilled his ministry. He fulfilled what he was sent to do.
0: Really interesting answer, Mark. Thank you for that. Uh, let's uh, shoot over to Second Corinthians chapter 12. Okay. I need to hear you turning pages. I'm not. Oh, there I'm I go. A- there, there, I heard it now. I
1: don't forget. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right. And Paul is talking about the thorn in the flesh that was given to him. Yeah. And he pleaded three times that it might depart from him. Yep. And Jesus, God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, mostly, uh, most gladly, I will then rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Okay. Maybe you could talk about that and frame it in light of what's going on right now with a lot of suffering and a lot of fear. And and why is this not being removed? And and how am I supposed to be delighting in, in these infirmities?
1: Yeah, that, uh, boy, I don't know if I have the the ability to speak to that with a lot of confidence, Bill, because I have no idea what so many people are going through yeah. right now. And I don't want to be presumptuous to say, oh, well, you know, you should just be trusting God because power is perfected in weakness and blah, 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 like that. Right think it would sound kind of uh, like a, a tin kind of a sound to, to do something like that. But uh, Paul does give us, though, a pathway here. And I would, uh, I would at least throw that out to, to your listeners, that uh, we are weak as human beings. Is this a physical weakness that Paul has? Most commentators think that way. Is it a moral weakness that Paul has or a spiritual weakness? It's possible. So whatever it is that we recognize that God isn't in the business of just removing all of our, uh, our problems and our shortcomings and our weaknesses that he is, he specializes in overcoming those. And as we trust him to overcome them, uh, we grow closer to him and we become stronger in that very weakness. I don't know if that makes sense, mm-hmm. something like that, but, uh, I I think the challenge is before all of us. I was thinking about it before the program that, you know, we haven't had anything like this happen for a while. I mean, one of the major things we can refer to in America is nine one one, but that's, that's almost twenty years ago now, and there's a whole lot of people that don't remember that real well. But we were shaken at that time as well, and so I don't know if it's God's purpose to have these kind of things happen with this pandemic and nine one one. And then when I was a kid, it was the whole uh, nuclear holocaust potential that scared us all half to death as kids in the 60s and 70s. But whatever that is, it may not be the reason why God has these things taking place, but it certainly is a derivative for us to use these opportunities to be, be strong in Christ and we find our strength in him and not our own confidence and our own abilities. So if it takes a thorn in the flesh, uh, again, I wouldn't say uh, great, but it's something you can nod your head with a frown on your face and say, this is very difficult. But yes, it is an opportunity for us to see God's power perfected in our weakness. And so uh, I appreciate hearing pastors. My own pastor said it this last Sunday that, of course, he's he's got fears. He's anxious about this, but he's taking this to God, and he's trusting God to uh, work through this and to bring his strength to bear when our strength falters. So it's a great reminder.
0: Yeah, and your truthfulness is so comforting right now. I appreciate that. Thanks. All right, in Matthew chapter 18, I need to hear pages turning again. No. Okay, you don't need to. Uh, Verse 3, it says... And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. What is the best way to understand what it's like to come as little children?
1: I think that it helps us right in uh, the next verse there, uh, because uh, children have a humility that, uh, uh, oh, I suppose there's some cocky kids out there, but most of the time, Children are are naive, they are inexperienced, and most of the time they know it. And so in verse 4, you just read verse 3, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, though, whoever then humbles himself as this child, he's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That it is an act of humility to put your faith in the gospel. Because by doing that, we recognize I have a big problem that I can't deal with myself. It is bigger than me. It's Jesus talking about this slave who owned his master 10,000 talents of money that's like uh, 300 million dollars you know you got to ask how is he getting that that far but jesus he's using hyperbole there he's it's as if he's saying this slave owed more to this master than he could ever repay and so when we come to that and get off our high horses about being so wonderful but i do good deeds and i pray regularly and i do this and i do that uh, that kind of thing uh it's, it's denying the basic humility to say we are helpless before God because of our sin. We are condemned to die because of that sin, and we can't do a blooming thing about it ourselves other than to put our faith in Jesus and depend on him to take away that sin burden like a kid would do it.
0: Oh, thank you for that. I,
1: I just think that's central to all this. Um, my wife and I have been talking about this with uh, you know, people in our experience that 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 old uh, devil pride and, and uh, conceit and uh, being a know-it-all, uh, all this kind of thing, it can be a, a terrible barrier for someone to be able to humble themselves like a child and put their faith in the gospel.
0: Mm, great. Thank you for that answer, Mark. Since sure. this whole COVID-19 has popped up, I've certainly have heard many people reference Philippians, 4, 6, and 7, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be n- made known to God. And it talks about the peace of God uh, surpasses yep. all understanding. Um, and also Philippians uh four thirteen, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Of course, Paul at that point was in prison, was he not? Yep. And he was probably just months before his own death. And yet he had great contentment and strength because of what he had in Christ. Great reminder during this time, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's good to be able to step back and uh, just uh, evaluate, you know. Sometimes we get so caught up with the present and just the immediate going on. This is one of the greatest uh, dangers, in my opinion, of the connected world that we have today with social media and everything. You can get running along so fast at about an inch deep level With all this input that we're getting and we're running as fast as we can and it can cause all this anxiety, it's good sometimes to just turn the thing off for a few minutes, step back and remember what you know from the scriptures and talk to other people and encourage people that way instead of just running as fast as you can like that. So Mm -hmm. Paul here, he seems to get to at things that are worthy of us reflecting on. And reflection means it takes some time. You just don't spend four seconds thinking about it and then move on to how warm it is outside or, or what's going on with COVID-19. We, we have to think and allow these thoughts to permeate our minds and to reflect on them for a while.
0: Mark, you're doing fantastic. It's not anywhere near as fun when you're not here in the studio with me, but I will take... I know it. I just
1: love your smile and face,
0: Bill. Thank you so much. I will take another break, and we'll be back more more with Dr. Mark Muska. Please let me know if you have a question. Send the text over to 877-933-2484. Be right back. back to the show. I'm Mark Muska on the program, or also known as Dr. Almost Knows It All.
1: Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah, are you out of line there?
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, anyway, here's a couple questions. I've just
1: been distracted here because I've been looking at pictures of my grandchildren. Yeah,
0: let's get back to work here. Enough grandkids for now. I know it. All right, here's a question. Uh, In Jeremiah 5, God challenges the people of Judah that there isn't one honest man left. Wasn't Daniel living in Judah at this time?
1: Yeah, Jeremiah five. Uh, that that I, I'm not sure if I can answer that one uh, because the the time sequence is very difficult in these chapters of Jeremiah. I've just been preparing my online course in Jeremiah this week, and Jeremiah is an anthology of Jeremiah's prophecies over a number of years, about three decades. And so, this whole thing here about you know not a god a, a godly person. The I think it's probably a uh, a uh, hyperbole where somebody could say Ah, oh, but Jeremiah, you know, what about Daniel? You're you're not telling us. Well, you get the point. There's <laughs> the virtue in this town at this point. So uh, I think that we have to take it in that sense that uh, when it comes to people seeking the Lord and doing the right thing, it's not a big crowd. Most of them are going in the other direction.
0: Mhm. And part of that question that the listener uh, came in with was as I read the prophecies and the invasions in the Old Testament, I struggle to keep the timeline and the characters straight. And the question yep. is, do you have any good books that will explain the historical context of the Old Testament?
1: Yeah there's quite a few introductory books to the Old Testament and you can even get more specific for uh, introductory studies in the prophets or even introductory studies in the major prophets like a good google search and and uh, going to some of these uh, book uh, stores online you you would find some really good stuff i can't think of one in particular right now that i would recommend but uh, there's plenty of resources in fact you don't even need to buy a book for this the online resources are so impressive that you just do some searches and you can, you can get this uh, out there pretty, pretty easily.
0: Mm-hmm. Mark, this next question that just came in fascinates me because I love this part of uh, the Scripture where uh, Jesus is arrested in the garden and a scuffle breaks out and uh, Peter whacks off the ear of the soldier named Malchus and before they cart Jesus off, he picks up his ear and puts it back on his head yeah so why why, and the question is why was it important that Jesus restored his ear?
1: Oh, I don't know I mean, you, <laughs> you could speculate I'm, about that for a long time. He's in the business of healing people, and so uh this is an opportunity it It may be something that's going to be rehabilitative for Peter that you know you did this impulsively because he does rebuke Peter for this. And a very famous statement there where he tells Peter, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Are you really sure you want to do this? And so it may be rehabilitative for Peter, and uh, it may be for some other reason that is not revealed to us in the Scripture. But I like it that it's so specific to give us the name here Mm -hmm. and exactly what happened. It seems like an insignificant, trivial detail, but that to me argues for the The believability of this whole thing, where it's getting down to nitty gritty little details like this, that if you're in a myth or in a fable, they just don't bother with this kind of detail. Right? Doesn't read. So it contributes to the genuineness of the the uh, the uh, gospel account. It's as if the writers right there saying, "I watched this happen. I was there to see what happened here, and this is what happened."
0: Yeah, when I think of the miracles of Jesus, I mean his bookend miracles would be, let's see, the wedding feast at Cana where he solves a catering problem, and then this yeah. would be the restoration of, of Malchus's ear would be the last kind of miracle he would do uh, hmm. as he's being led off for his night of horror, and then his next day crucifixion. He's still right. he's still meeting people's needs. How awesome is yep. that? Yep. The miracles served a couple purposes,
1: and that's one of them, to meet the needs of people, and sometimes trivial, the not that important. Who cares if they're out of wine at the at the wedding? Uh, and yet, it, it's all important to Jesus. Nothing is too trivial for him, but it also bears witness to who he is. Uh, John makes that explicit at the end of that parable in John chapter 2 about Cana, where he says that he did these miracles, it was the first of his miracles, and his disciples believed in him. Mm -hmm. That was the point of it, is to, to further build their faith in him from doing these miracles. It wasn't just a dog and pony show to impress people. He was interested in seeing them come to faith in him as the Messiah.
0: The listener that asked that question, Mark, chimed in with a second one: "Is, is it possible okay. that it restored him to the priesthood because they couldn't be a priest and have any flaws? I wasn't Ooh. aware that Malchus would be considered a priest.
1: No, I'm not sure either about that. I'd have to look at that further. But uh,
0: yeah, he was just a I, soldier. A
1: possibility. I, I really don't like speaking on on that kind of thing, though, Bill. If the scriptures itself doesn't speak to it, and so otherwise, you can go on a fishing expedition and it." Uh, I think we wander away from the message of what the Bible does say.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, Mark, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What's the most yep. uh, reliable and confident way to be secure about being in Christ Jesus?
1: Well, he's been developing this all the way through the God, the book of Romans of what that means. It's In particular, it's in contrast to the conflict that he talks about between the spirit and the flesh in chapter 7, because uh, you have to back up a little bit there, where he says, this is such a terrific war that goes on within me between my flesh, which is, is, is prone to sin and drawn to sin, and my spirit, which wants to serve God. And so, Let me just read a couple of the verses here. 7.24, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And then he answers his own question. He says, Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And he says, So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. And then he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So we are... In Christ, when we have put our faith in Jesus to justify us in Paul's terms in Romans, to uh, declare us uh, righteous in the sight of God, Uh, just like a judge would do, that he would make a proclamation or uh, make a decision to uh, declare us free from sin because we're depending on Jesus as our substitute to take it away from us. And because of that, we can have this confidence that we are not under God's condemnation any longer. We are righteous in Christ because He is righteous, and we.
0: Hmm. All right, you went a little quiet on me there, Mark. I don't know if you uh, are gone or not. Oh, really? Oh, you're back. I oh, good. Still... You're you're back. You're back. Are you able to hear me? Yeah, I can hear you I now. Went just on fine. There
1: for a while. How long <laughs> was I gone?
0: I don't know. Twenty, thirty minutes. <laughs> Wasn't that long. Really? Yeah. <laughs> All right. You're,
1: you're scaring me. No,
0: no, you were just gone for a second or two. All right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, here's a question that I'm wondering if you've been asked outside of this show, with now a worldwide pandemic happening, what are some of the possible spiritual implications and how that might be affecting what's going on in the world right now?
1: Yeah, you know, it would be great to talk about this more, but I don't really see that many people anymore. Okay. Because- Supposed to behave, you know, right. and, and not not be socializing. Yeah, um, my wife and I do have to confess that we've broken that a couple times, but we still have tried to maintain the six foot thing with uh, a few of our friends. We go walking on the streets here, in and uh, you know, we'll walk on both sides of the street so that we stay apart and everything. But I haven't had that many people ask it. Bill is what I'm I'm saying is that uh, I, I think there's plenty of possibilities here. But, you know, I don't like to speak out of turn, Bill, as far as the spiritual implications of something of this. I think we can, what we've talked about already on the program, we can take this as a challenge from God. Anybody who reads the scripture sees that there's going to be some really significant turmoil on the earth as we grow closer to the return of Christ. And this is just one of the possibilities here. And I look at those things as tests to say, okay, Whose side are you really on? You can sit in a church pew on Sunday and and talk about how much Jesus means to you. But this is a test. Uh, It's almost like those old tests of the emergency broadcasting system. Remember those? Oh, yeah. 30 seconds. You're going to be tested here. (laughs) See what your reaction is going to be to a pandemic, uh, something that's out of control. Uh, You can talk a good talk, but are you going to live a good live here in the midst of this? And honestly, Bill, I think it's an unprecedented, in my lifetime, it's an unprecedented time for us to stand with Christ and declare Him and what He offers to us, because you know that there's all kinds of people shaken by this, and their security and their lifestyle has been has been interrupted. And so there's an open door there for us if we just look for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And All believers need to be looking for that open door and stepping in when the opportunity arises or create an opportunity. You don't have to wait for it. Go create one. Yep, yep. Mark, thank you so much. Karen, nice to have you with us today. Even in uh, silent next to Mark, it's nice to have you know that you're there. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for uh, coming on, Mark.
1: Yeah, this has been
0: fun. It's always is, Bill. Just wish we could be in person. Yeah, that's my exact sentiment. Dr. Mark Muska has been my guest. That wraps up our hour with him. You can keep sending questions questions if you like because I always store those for the next time he's on. So just so you know, if you uh, wake up at, in the middle of the night and go, I got a question for Mark Muska, just text it to me. I'll keep it in a file and have it for next time. That wraps up Hour 1. We'll be right back with Hour 2. David Wheaton's going to be joining me and Kim Cotola, It's going to be a great hour.